So today we finish our sermon series on sheep in action. We've been studying, if you've missed the last several weeks, we've been studying the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. We see there that that Jesus is calling us to practical Christianity, something that steps into the everyday lives of people in our society that need help to meet very tangible and practical needs. We've learned that while preaching is good and important and we need to be doing it, there are other needs we need to be meeting as well, and it's a part of our Christian faith. And to fail to do these things is to fail to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So we've talked about helping those who are poor, helping those who are homeless, cultivating an attitude of openness to what God wants to do. We've talked about uh, a lot of different areas of our society that are broken and need fixing and simple things that we can do. Our last sermon on this topic, we talked about visitation and how every member of the church is a part of the visitation team. People are lonely. And maybe we won't visit them in person. Maybe we will if we can do it safely. But everybody is a part of this opportunity to make others feel welcomed into the body of Christ. So today, I remind you of our key passage, Matthew 25. I'll just share it with you here. Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you look after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. He says, May the Lord show mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Paul, who wasn't in prison for doing bad things, but even people who've done bad things and are in prison need love and support and visitation. But Paul, who was in there for preaching the gospel, was refreshed over and over again by this family. He wasn't ashamed to associate with Paul, a prisoner. There's a powerful work to be done in prison ministry, isn't there? Looking at Paula. Uh, Paula has been engaged in prison ministry. Right now, things are difficult. In fact, our our dear beloved chaplain, who has been one of our connections to prison ministry, is recovering from a stroke that he just had. Uh, But with COVID right now, the situation's difficult. But there is still a powerful work to be done. And there's still such a thing as pen pals, correspondence. There are people who need to know that God loves them in spite of their failures. Jesus said, I was in prison and you came to me. You visited me. Uh, If you want to know more about what prison ministry can be in regular times, uh, is it okay if they talk to you, Paula? Cool. She can tell you about some of her experiences and about some of the needs that she's learned about. You know, I attended a baptism um, several years ago for a man who had found Jesus in prison. And while he was there in the baptistry, in the water, He said, God locked me up to set me free. 
He locked me up to set me free. And this is the case for many people who find the hope and, and passion of Jesus while in prison. One of my former bosses, when I was a Bible worker, had met the Lord in prison. He used to be a drug dealer and he would steal cars and do all sorts of horrible things. But in prison, Jesus found him. We don't want to forget about people who are locked up. They need the Lord too. A lot of ways that that can happen. But God's heart reaches out to those who are imprisoned, to those who are oppressed. I want to invite you to open up your Bible to Psalm 146. Psalm 146, because there's this beautiful poetry, song about God's heart for those who are oppressed. And it kind of summarizes what we've seen over the last several weeks in the sermon series. Psalm 146, and we're going to start in verse 5. We study the Bible to know more about our God and to become better acquainted with our Savior. Here's the heart of our God of love that that loves you and me when I don't deserve it, and loves the whole world, whether or not they love him back. Psalm 146, verse 5. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever. He executes justice for the oppressed. And that word oppressed there is the Hebrew word ashak. Uh, which in other contexts can sometimes be translated the exploited. This can be economically, physically, even sexually exploited. God has a passion to give justice for those who've been oppressed, who've been exploited. This God gives food to the hungry. God practices what he preaches, doesn't he? He gives Freedom to the prisoners. He's not saying amnesty for all who've ever done bad things and deserve to be locked up. No, he is offering freedom, if not in a physical sense, in a spiritual sense for all who want it. And there's a lot of people, a lot of injustice in our criminal justice system that needs to be worked on. And we can advocate for better laws, better legislation. The Lord opens the eyes, verse 8, of the blind, who raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. And we saw in our previous sermon, stranger here is just another word for foreigner most times. The Lord loves them, relieves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Here we see God has this heart. No matter what someone's background, no matter what difficulties they find themselves in, God wants to make a difference in their lives. And how does he do it? One of the primary ways he wants to do it is through you and through me. God most often, it seems, uses people to help answer the prayers of others. And last week we discovered one of the reasons why he allows us to be involved is because we need it for ourselves. We need to help others because we need it for our own heart. 
We need it for what God, God is going to do in our lives. There are so many ways that people are exploited and, and oppressed in our current society. And one really common one is through usury, uh, which is charging excessive interest. Uh, and in America, we define uh, excessive interest as anything over 20%. So if you go to one of those payday lending places, uh, in, in California, you're restricted to $300. But even so, you can end up paying 350, 400% interest on these loans. The people who are the most vulnerable economically are the ones who are getting charged the most interest. Um, oddly enough, there have been efforts resisting laws in, across the country um, in the last few years to tighten up on these things. I think recently there's been some moves on this, but uh, this is not right. Uh, there's kind of some mixed messages, or not mixed messages, the, the data of Scripture show that proper interest uh, is not a bad thing. Um, but this kind of interest is always a bad thing. Taking advantage of those who can't afford um, these kinds of things. A lot of different ways people are exploited. We're going to talk today about human trafficking some. Um, I'm not going to get into the, the gory, explicit details. Um, but the more you know, the more horrified you become. Child labor all around the world, kids forced into labor. Do you know where your clothes come from when you buy them? Do you know where your products come from? I'll give you a website later on in the sermon, and it'll be, um, I've already put it on our Facebook page, um, a link to, to find it there. But do you know where the things you're buying in the supermarket, in, the, in Walmart, in the stores, on Amazon? Do you know where they're coming from? Is it possible that you are, through your purchasing power, rewarding people who employ children in sweatshop conditions to make what you're purchasing? Just because something is distant and remote from you doesn't make it any better, right? If you knew that your neighbors were forcing their kids uh, in horrible circumstances to work for them and produce things, you probably wouldn't feel comfortable buying stuff from them, knowing that you were rewarding the parents for that. But somehow it feels better and easier if we just don't even know the circumstances. Ignorance is not a good answer. Part of relieving those who are oppressed is knowing how our dollars are influencing, for the good or for the bad, the, the quality of life of people, both here in America and around the world. As you learn, you can learn about organ trafficking, people who are forced through their circumstances to sell their organs. Um, they don't always make it through those um, black market operations to remove their kidneys. Um, it, it's horrifying, this, this stuff that, that goes on in our society. Child soldiers, kids, being forced to do atrocious things around our world. Child marriage, of course. Debt bondage, people get into 
to debt and forced basically into slavery. Uh, there are more slaves today in our world than there ever have been. It just doesn't look like it used to look, but it's, it's still just as bad. And of course, sex trafficking, which we'll deal with more. I want to share some Bible verses to kind of show the foundation again in the Old Testament of justice for all uh, and God calling his people to a higher standard than what the world calls uh, us to or what the world allows. And we'll be looking, a lot of the verses will have that same word, a shock, exploited, those who are oppressed. We start here in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 33. Notice what the Bible says there. Jeremiah 50, verse 33. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people of Israel are oppressed. They knew what it was like to feel oppressed and be oppressed. And the people of Judah as well. All their captors hold them fast, refusing to let them go. Notice their oppression is in the context of their captivity. They were prisoners in another land and that was all wrapped up into their being oppressed. You know, we have slaves here in America. We have slaves here in Modesto. Um, and it's, it's high time for, for the church, for us to become aware of what's going on right in our own neighborhoods so that we can start to do something about it. God, we saw in, in Psalm 146, now we see it in Psalm 143, excuse me, 103 verse 6. God has a heart for those who are oppressed. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And maybe it doesn't happen immediately now in this lifetime, but believe me, on Judgment Day, justice will be served. So God instructs us, book of Zechariah, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against one another. Just because you can take advantage of somebody, God says, don't do it. Don't do it. Deuteronomy 24, verse 14. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Well, you wouldn't exploit a church member, but well, maybe somebody that's not a member. Of course not. No matter who you are, everybody deserves to have justice and mercy in their lives. You know, we did an outreach at camp meeting, SoCal camp meeting, which unfortunately will be online this year. Um, we did an outreach, and some of the group went to just some of the people in the field picking strawberries and found out these people have run out of water, they have no water for working in their fields. Um, manage a job where you don't have access to water. Um, as you look at statistics, um, it's really easy for people to exploit laborers, particularly if they're undocumented, because then they have leverage over them. So a lot of times they don't get paid what they should. Uh, at least 30, it's in the 30%, uh, they, they surveyed 4,300 people, um, and 37.1% of them were victims of 
getting paid below minimum wage, and almost 90% were um, experiencing overtime but not getting paid for overtime. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but when fruit and, and well, when like strawberries grow, they grow on the ground. Can you imagine being forced to work for less than minimum wage, overtime hours, bending over all day long, kneeling all day long? And we go to the supermarket and we complain about the prices of, of things. Do we think about the people that help bring these things to market? A lot of times, uh, people who come here as undocumented immigrants, um, they will be forced into working, sometimes with no pay, uh, with the threat of being turned in. Their wages will be withheld from them. There's a lot of, uh, of issues we could talk about there. Uh, another really common one in America is the exploitation of women from some Asian countries. Uh, most frequently, it's women between 30 and 50 in countries like China, um, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, Korea. And they get these advertisements in their home country. They're, they're, they're in poor poverty situations. They see advertisements for good jobs in America, and, and they will pay your way over there. They say, this is great. Let's do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to sacrifice for my family or for a better life for myself. And when they get to America, when they come to LAX or JFK Airport, um, and they're picked up by the people who brought them here, they find out it's a much different story. And they're told, you now owe us tens of thousands of dollars, uh, often $50,000. We brought you here. You've got to pay us back. And what you're going to do to get it um, is not pleasant. There's an estimated 10,000 illicit massage parlors in America. A quarter of those have been estimated to be here in California. And, and the majority, uh, it seems, are legit for massage, but there's a high percentage that are not, that offer more than massage. These women are forced into a lifestyle that they never dreamed of forced to make money, um, servicing six to ten clients a day, day after day, many of them living in kind of captivity there in some of these massage places. Um, not lacking, oh, they lack the, the language skills or the knowledge of American law. Uh, they lack transportation. They lack opportunity to find a way to escape this lifestyle. These things happening right in our own communities. And unfortunately, it's notoriously hard to prosecute the owners because of the way they've set up these businesses. More work needs to be done in this area uh, to shed light on what's going on and to find solutions for how we can deal with this. God takes issue at anybody who's exploited, in no matter what aspect of life they are exploited through. Notice, we continue to see this. I'm going to show you a passage from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 22, verse 7. God calls out his own people. His own people were guilty of these kinds of things. He says, In you they have treated father and mother with contempt. 
In you they have oppressed the foreigner and mistreated the fatherless and the widow. And then in verse 12, it says, In you are people who accept bribes to shed blood. You take interest and make profit from the poor. You extort unjust gain from your neighbors, and you have forgotten me, declares the Lord God. God's own people who knew better were guilty of committing these sins that God had warned them against. He reminded them, he already told them in Leviticus 25, verse 17, do not take advantage of each other, but fear the Lord. I am the Lord your God. Don't take advantage of people. Instead of those behaviors, God calls his people to proactively seek out relief for those who are oppressed. Not just, don't do this bad thing, but here's something good I want you to do. Check this out. Jeremiah chapter 21 and verse 12. This is what the Lord says to you, O house of David, administer justice every morning. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who's been robbed. Well, my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. Notice it said there, rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. In the message paraphrase of the Bible, Eugene Peterson said it like this. He said, rescue victims from their exploiters. Don't just avoid exploiting people. Rescue them. Find ways to bring people out of their captivity. It's a heavy message today, but I don't apologize for it because, you know, sometimes we live in this little Pollyanna world where everything is so innocent and pure and wonderful. We live in our nice homes. We have homes, but who knows? Maybe just down the street, people are living a life that is horrendous, and we don't even know it. UNICEF in 2006, said over a million children are forced into the sex trade every year. A million kids. Um, average age is about 13 to 15. Uh, but they rescue people that are babies, uh, people that are 63. It's not just kids. You know, when we were, uh, my wife and I were visiting in Thailand, the most commonly trafficked person there was not young girls, it was actually young boys. Uh, they were forced, they were kidnapped, basically, uh, and forced to live on fishing boats, permanent fishing stations out in the ocean, working for fishing companies. If they got sick, if they died, dump them overboard. Um, kids. So it's, it's not even just the sex industry, it's, it's every industry seeks to exploit. Uh, we need to be very mindful of what we're buying, where we're directing our financial resources. As I said before, more slaves today than there ever were. The Department of Justice says, yeah, kids that are forced into this illicit lifestyle, uh, they have to serve us two to 30 clients a week, sometimes 1,500 people. Super Bowl weekend is a big weekend. They did a big bust in uh, Florida. 
It's just really, really disgusting what goes on. Uh, and it's everywhere. Sometimes we think these problems, oh, they're just overseas, but no, 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 they're here in America, and, and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Um, but you know, you don't have to be involved in sex trafficking to support it. Um, there's all sorts of research and, and evidence that shows that just viewing pornography itself supports human trafficking. A lot of the people who appear uh, in these things online are themselves being trafficked or being forced to do what they're doing. Increased viewing creates increased demand. Uh, the more views a website gets, the more demand there is for new content. Where are you going to find new content? With new people. Where do you find new people? You find them everywhere. Off of playgrounds, off of uh, school grounds other countries, all over the place. Just viewing a website, even if you don't give them any money, generates money for the website through advertising. You're well aware of this, right? Uh, you search for, you want to buy socks, wool socks, and then all of a sudden, everywhere you are on the web, uh, on, you go to Facebook, and now there are ads for wool socks that are popping up. And so when you view illicit websites, just your view alone supports this industry, which supports human trafficking. It's not just you that you hurt. It's not just us that we hurt. Um, sin is not something you can do in a vacuum. It's something that has ripple effects that extend uh, far further than we think. California is number one. Uh, for new trafficking cases in America. Number two, for current active cases. There's a lot of work that we can do in our state to make it a better state. You know, it's not just kids, not just underage teens that get ushered into this kind of lifestyle. I'm going to show a video clip here. It's four minutes long. Um, it doesn't get into graphic detail, but as you know, this content is pretty heavy. Um, but I think you'll find the story um, moving. Uh, let's check it out. I was born and raised in a small town in southern Oregon, and I was a good kid in school. I grew up in a normal middle-class family. Um, I got great grades, I was really active in sports, and I even graduated a year early. I was accepted into Oregon State University, and I had my dorm room already assigned, and I was really excited to move up to Corvallis. But that summer I got pregnant by my boyfriend, and I had to make a real tough decision whether I was going to keep my baby and unenroll from university, or get an abortion and keep it all a secret. And that was a really tough summer for me. After I had the baby, I had some friends that had gone up to U of O to go to college, and they had an extra room in one of their apartments. It was at that time that I met a boy or a guy who pretended um, to take interest in me. I really thought he liked me, and we got along really well. He was really funny and charming, and he had a nice car, and he, he always picked up the tab. He had nice clothes. And he told me he was a record producer, 
that he had a band um, up in Portland, and that's why he frequently went out of town. There's a saying that says, when you take a child by the hand, you take the mother by the heart. And I really think that's what happened for me, because I had this new little girl and this man who showed this desperate attention towards her, like he wanted to really help make this family that I really wanted for my daughter. And he invited me to move in with him after about six months of dating, and I was really excited. And I brought him down to Southern Oregon to meet my family, and everything seemed fine until we arrived in Las Vegas. He said we were moving there because that was the entertainment capital of the world and being a record producer and having um, a band that that's where they were gonna get the most gigs and the most jobs and that's where his job was leading him. So I desperately uh, wanted to go with him, to be with him and, and to start this family that, that he promised me. He pulled up to an escort service and he said, this is how it works in Vegas. I've spent a lot of money to get you here. I put first and last on an apartment. I filled your fridge up with food, and you're gonna need to get, earn that money back. And I felt, I felt trapped. I felt like, um, how am I gonna get out of this? And you didn't know if you were gonna live or die. You didn't know what he was gonna do or what he was capable of, and so it's, it was really scary. I can remember just running through the casino thinking, like, these people don't even have a clue what's going on, they're just, Cha-ching, cha-ching, Las Vegas, yay! And they're doing all this stuff, and I'm, I'm running for my life. I'm running from a man that has forced me into doing things that I didn't want to do. When you have a, a trafficker that's waiting at home with your child and says, if you don't bring home $1,500, you're going to find your daughter out on the corner, I think I was probably more frightened to go home than I was to be in the room. Because if you got robbed, it was your fault for being stupid. Um, if you got raped, it was your fault for not watching your back. Anything that happened to you was typically your fault and you incurred more punishment um, for allowing those things to happen to you. So it made you always walk in fear of your trafficker. Right here in America, someone who's not a kid can happen to anyone. So what do we do? What can be done? Well, number one, you can educate yourself more. Learn what's going on. If you don't realize there's a problem, hard to do anything about it. I'll share a couple resources, but just know there are a lot of other resources out there. And if you're good with Google, you can, you can find it pretty easily. You can also educate yourself to spot red flags for people who are being trafficked. I watched some videos this week of doctors who, in retrospect, looked back and realized, ah, this girl that I was treating she was someone who was being exploited. We can educate ourselves because you're out in the community. You, you see, you're at the supermarket. You're, you're, on, you're, you're around a lot of different places, and you might see something that doesn't look right. And the more you're, you become aware 
of what some of the red flags are, the more you can do something about it. Uh, take an audit of your life. Make sure that you aren't in any way contributing to the problems that we've described today. Either through the, the money that you spend, the, the lifestyle that you live, the, the websites that you visit. Um, take an audit of, of your life. And then we can be proactive. I'm going to put a, a website here up on the screen. These are just a couple of, uh, of sites. I've already put these links on our Facebook page. Um, the first one has 10 suggestions. And honestly, that's not the exact link to the 10 suggestions. It will be easier if you just on Google put uh, 10 ways you can help end trafficking. The web address was too long and too complex. If you put in Google or Bing or whatever you use, 10 ways you can help end trafficking, it will be the number one hit. It's, it's through the government website. And it has a lot of helpful links on there, including um, knowing what kinds of products from which countries uh, are at risk of being produced by child labor. Um, so there's a lot of good links on that site, including a link for the hotline. If you see something suspicious, you can call this hotline. Uh, and the other website as well, nsexualexploitation.org, is very good in addition. You know, the foundation for all of this, that for everything we've said today, comes back to one passage in my mind, and it's the, the, the golden rule that Jesus gave to us. Luke 6.31, do unto others as you would have them do to you. If you are stuck in an unjust situation, what would you want done for you? We can rattle off statistics, but we don't get the impact as, as, it, as if it was happening to ourselves. But if, if one of your kids was snatched away from you, if you found yourself in an exploitative situation, what would you want someone to do for you? Would you want a neighbor to call a hotline and, and, and share their suspicions? Would you want people in the community to send an email to their legislator to help create better laws to prevent things from happening? Would you want somebody to go out of their way to help you in your situation? Of course we would. So what are we going to do for those who are living it right now? I challenge you to prayerfully ask the Lord how you can help. Check out these websites I've mentioned, if possible. Um, there's things as simple as sending an email to your representative. It's already typed up for you. You just put your name and info in there, and it tells our Congress people, our senators, hey, these issues are important to me. Um, I want you to know that I care about this issue. When we get to heaven someday, we won't regret the efforts that we made to help those who are in need, will we? When we get to heaven, people will say, thank you for preaching the three angels' messages to me. But they'll also say, thank you for helping provide food for me when I needed food. Thank you for reaching out in some small way when I was being exploited. My situation improved. Thank you for what you've done. So let's work.
Let's be sheep in action for Jesus. And remember, everything that we do, even if we don't see the good that happens here in heaven, Jesus will say, because you've done it under the least of these, you've done it unto me. Let's pray. Father, these are some heavy things to, to put on our hearts on our first Sabbath back in church. But we need it, Lord. There's way more that we could say that we didn't say today. Um, so, Father, show us how we can help others out. Show us how we can make a difference to set prisoners free. We long for the joys and happiness of heaven. Uh, but as we wait, Lord, show us how we can work for you. Not because we're saved by our working. We're saved only by you, Jesus. You've promised and made that salvation as good as, as good as done before the foundation of the world. And so we thank you for that and we rejoice in that. And we move forward today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Keep us well, we pray. Keep us walking in your will. For we ask it and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a happy Sabbath. God bless you. And let's continue to be safe.